millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Euros All Access podcast is proudly sponsored by Vauxhall. Before we kickstart today's episode, I just wanted to take a moment to make sure that all of our listeners are aware of the Vauxhall ELCV range. If you don't know what I'm referring to, it is the best-selling electric van range from Vauxhall, which is driving innovation in 2024 with its modern facelifted design and improved electric technology. Now, I know the transition to an electric vehicle can sometimes feel daunting, but rest assured that when you choose Vauxhall, you're in the safest of hands. The ELC V range is designed to be as accessible as a diesel van. With an electric range of up to 261 miles and with one year's free public charging included, you will find it cheaper to run too. If you are already thinking of making the leap to an all-electric vehicle, then consider this your official sign. Go online and search Vauxhall Electric Vans today. Vauxhall's best-selling electric van range, energising a better Britain. Terms and conditions apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, the former Manchester City and England winger Trevor Sinclair and TalkSport's Alex Crook as English football descends into chaos. I can see fans now um, running across the bridge in front of me, uh, across to this uh, this car park on John Gilbert Way. I've been denied access to the stadium. The ground is on lockdown. Alex Crook said that this level of protest at Manchester United was a long time coming, but he thinks it went too far. Images like this, videos of bottles being thrown at police and fans kicking their way into the stadium, that that public sympathy will quickly diminish. And actually, if you're the Glazer family, they can look at these images and say, look, it's jobs. They're not football fans, they're jobs. On the pitch, Manchester City will have to wait until next weekend for the title. But when the end of the season eventually comes, Trevor Sinclair says they're going to miss Sergio Aguero. He's been an absolute incredible servant. He served us with one of the most exciting moments in Premier League history and uh, yeah I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty sad that he's leaving the Premier League but what a finish and what a reminder to everyone even the clubs that are in, interested in him of what his strengths are and what he can bring to, to a team. Plus we'll have a look at the Champions League semi-finals, a bail blast, a transfer merry-go-round and a glance at who wants to be the Spurs boss. All on the ultimate review of all the weekend's footballing action from Talk Sport. it's the Game Day Podcast. few minutes we'll get to Old Trafford because something has unfolded on the pitch on the playing surface at Manchester United Stadium. We'll get there in a few moments. I can see fans now um, running across the bridge in front of me, uh, across to this uh, this car park on John Gilbert Way. I've been denied access to the stadium. The ground is on lockdown. There's people that are climbing into the stands. They're on the pitch. This is a yeah. serious breach of security. Here's the club statement from Manchester United who say following a discussion between the police, the Premier League Trafford Council and the clubs our match against Liverpool has been postponed due to safety and security considerations around the protest today This is a global game and this has caused the postponement of one of the biggest fixtures in the world of football Fans have many channels by which to make their views known but the actions of a minority seen today have no justification I am really really depressed tonight Don't don't break in the ground boys Don't 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 kick balls on the pitch and, and pinch corner flags as if it's just a joke. Let's get these people out properly. The game's been postponed, and I'm sure now the Glazers will realise that the, these fans mean something. I find, I find it bizarre that people have been expecting the fans to protest and expecting the fans to make their voices heard, but now when they do, they're all complaining. There needs to be reform in the way that football clubs can be owned. Now, I'm just a fan. I don't hold all those answers, but what we need is people who, who can speak on that and have the power, more, most importantly, to change it. Yeah, it's a very different weekend uh, to what we expected, I think, especially a very different weekend end to the weekend that maybe Manchester City fans were anticipating, even many Manchester United and Liverpool fans. Uh, Manchester United's Premier League 
clash against Liverpool was called off after fans broke into Old Trafford in protest against the Glazer family, with police launching an investigation after an officer was left needing emergency hospital treatment. Around 100 supporters broke into the stadium and invaded the pitch during the demonstration, forcing some United staff to lock themselves in rooms. Uh, The barricading of the team bus so it couldn't leave the hotel... Um, We had outside the ground bottles and barriers being thrown at police officers and horses. Two officers were injured and one attacked with a bottle sustaining a significant slash wound to his face, requiring emergency hospital treatment. Look, The details were very sketchy when I was on air uh, on Sunday afternoon, but towards the end of my stint, we were getting reports that it was a little bit more aggressive than we first believed. I'm massively understanding of protest and standing up for the fans' right to have their say on the direction of their club, but kicking down doors to get into a ground, throwing gates and missiles at police is a step too far. I think we need to reiterate that the transgressions were for a a minority of Manchester United fans. I mentioned the numbers there, you know, a hundred supporters breaking into the stadium. There were a lot more than that outside the stadium and a lot more that went with the intent of acting peacefully. But very few fans transgressing makes very big noise. Mm. Um, And they are the images that we see tomorrow morning when we wake up. Those are the stories that will be told in the future. And I think that, 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 that is a story that obviously is going to carry. We had someone outside the ground saying that you could sense it spilling over early in the day. We weren't there. We were only privileged to the footage that has been sent to us and that we've seen on Sky. But there is a clear fraction here between the club and its supporter base that needs healing. My big question would be, if, if you're planning on attending a peaceful protest, why do you need to go armed with cans and bottles of lager in the first place? Um, obviously, it was a, a warm day up there by Mancunian standards. People were drinking alcohol outside during the protest. And inevitably, when you've had a couple of beers, you become a bit more aggressive in some cases. And, and, and it quickly descended more like a riot than a protest and you're right Sam to point out that it was only a minority but the few ruined it for the many because we've seen what fan power can do when protests are carried out in the right manner as they were at Chelsea on that night when the Super League came tumbling down I was at Arsenal a week or so ago that was largely peaceful but again there were small groups of men drinking lager squaring up to police there were a couple of people who who were carried away and arrested. So unfortunately, this type of thing is always going to attract that minority. But I think we need to come out and condemn it because I think football fans have had a lot of public support and public sympathy because of what they've achieved with the Super League. Images like this, videos of bottles being thrown at police and fans kicking their way into the stadium, that that public sympathy will quickly diminish. And actually, if you're the Glazer family, they can look at these images and say, look, it's jobs. They're not football fans, they're jobs. And I think that takes away a lot of what they're trying to achieve. Yes, we sympathise with Manchester United fans. We know the Glazers haven't been fantastic owners. We know the stadium needs a facelift and they've let that go. But this is not the right way to go about it. Peaceful protests outside the stadium, yes. Physical violence, breaking and entering, stealing of corner flags, no. Um, Trevor, I think what Crook said there is is really important. And obviously the protest, yep, okay, we've, we've dealt with that. In terms of going forward, Manchester United needs a facelift. I mean, they've, they've, they've definitely yeah. it with a few garlanded, garlanded players over the course of the last few years. They spent a lot of money on, on Pogba, Lukaku. Uh, they brought in Bruno Fernandes at great cost. And they've spent a lot of money playing the wages of Edinson Cavani. But, you know, I've been to Carrington. I've been to Cobham mm. and the difference is quite stark. I've been to the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I've been to Old Trafford. Old Trafford in 1995-96 when it was being rebuilt was a a standout stadium across Europe. It's a standout stadium now for the fact that it houses one of the greatest football clubs in the world, but it's derelict. It's, it's largely yeah. neg- neglected. I mean, you, you walk down the corridors behind the South Stand and it's it's like walking into the borrower's den. It's, it's very small. It's very tiny. It's, it's dated. It's old. It needs help. It, and the club 
feels as if it's been neglected a little bit yeah. in that regard. And I think that's one of the reasons why the protesters are there. I mean, obviously, there are other, other reasons behind it, and the ESL is one of those. But I think that, that uh, uh, aside from the, the danger and the violence, which has got to be recognised and condemned, there's a serious point here on behalf of the Manchester United, the groundswell of Manchester United support, most of whom were pe- peaceful, that actually all is not well here. You know, this no. is not a club being run well. No, and, and, and unfortunately, during my playing career, I was uh, on the wrong end of being part of a, a competitor against Manchester United when the club was being run properly. And... You know, what Cookie said is correct um, about the fans and protesting. They have the right to protest, but the violence and, and the way they do that was probably wrong in certain in certain ways. This is naive. I mean, we spoke about this last week, um, Sam, at, at Anfield, and we said, don't expect too much today, uh, which was last Saturday, that the, the real kind of uh, problems will come at Old Trafford between Manchester United and Liverpool. This was expected. And the lack of preparation uh, from the police, from the football club, is a reflection of the club for me. Yeah, It's, it's, it's just a joke. Um, listen, we all know the fans don't like the Glazers because they put them into a ridiculous amount of debt. Uh, and that's where FC United of Manchester was 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 born. Um, Carrington is, is, is tired. Old Trafford is tired. Manchester City fans, if you don't know... Crookie uh, um, is nicknamed the Swamp, um, and they've, they've they've stood in time. They've stood still under the Glazers, and it's 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 ridiculous what's happened to that football club. Listen, they're second in the league. You know they're still going strong in, in certain respect. They're in in the Europa League, but when you're talking about Manchester United, you're supposed to be talking about gold top. This is supposed to be the best club in Europe, and. They're, they're way short of their standards and the fans are the fans are disgruntled. You can understand why they go there and I have a little bit of sympathy for them, but you don't want them to do that in that way where yeah. people are getting hurt and, you know, we've seen the images and, and, and that's not right. But I think enough's enough, you know, the, the time for the fans to start talking with their feet and, and talking with actions and, and going there and staying away from home games. I think that's not far away. Yeah, and I think it was quite a start, really, that some of the reaction from Gary Neville and from Roy Keane, whilst not supporting what the protesters had done, were very much suggesting that they understood exactly why it had happened. I mean, Gary Neville turned around and said the the the, the Glazers should do the honourable thing and sell up. Roy Keane said, you know... Enough is enough. This is the Manchester United fans rebelling against the the, the ownership. This is the, and he said this is just the beginning. He actually, said this is just the beginning, and I think that I I, I am surprised that there, there wasn't more preparation for this because I woke oh. up Sunday morning and I looked at the papers. I read some reports in the Daily Mail. I read reports in the Times and the Sun about this whole idea of these two clubs coming together and talking about the ESL protests and other things as well. And I thought, do you know what? This game is ripe for a massive protest. And I said, I even said to our producer, make sure we've got our reporter on, on standby straight away because there's going to be a problem here today. And that was at 10 o'clock in the morning. Now, if I noticed that, I swear mm. they should have noticed that. Yeah, there's two, there's two strands to that. You're right. The, the, the club and the authorities clearly weren't properly prepared. But just to go back to what you were saying about Gary Neville and Roy Keane, and Gary Neville has been a fantastic voice piece for the fans throughout this whole Super League debacle. But you can praise the supporters who are protesting in the right manner while also condemning those who aren't. And and I I do think possibly they should have come out with a bit more condemnation. And I will say this, you've got to remember, this is a social media blackout weekend. There's not as much information flying around. I I ha- I was in the studio when this was happening and the, the, the amount of information that was coming through to me whilst I was trying to convey what was happening was very small. You know, we had very limited access to pictures of what was happening outside. I imagine Sky had more. Yeah. I'm, I'm not necessarily, I don't think they had the footage that we now have. I mean, we, you know, we're talking now 10 hours afterwards. I think that's a difference. I think we're looking at it now 10 hours after it's happened. I don't think everybody had all the information. I think no. we said that on air. We were saying, you know, we'd, we've only got a certain amount of information at this time. And I'm sure in the fullness of time, we'll be furnished with more of that. I just think there's a fine line between encouraging protests 
But Crookie... And this, being seen to incite violence. Yeah, yeah, but Crookie, this should have been taken out of the fans' hands. This should have been prepared better for uh, by the, the, the police uh, in Manchester and also the football club. For me, it, it's kind of typical with what's going on at Manchester United. And, and you know, Gary Neville... Um, Roy Keane they understand the fans because they were part of they were part of the team that was so successful that had that rapport with the fans and that connection with the fans that's gone now because of the way the football's evolved but what must not be forgotten in this is that what the Glazers are doing it's it's out of the fans control you know as much as they go and, and, and do these uh, different things that they're going to do the, the Glazers still on the football club for me it's going to take the government it's going to take regulation of the football club uh, regulation of football from the covenant because if they don't then our pyramid is definitely in danger and and I think that's what Gary and possibly to a lesser extent Roy Keane were trying to get at mm. this needs to be taken out of the, the, the hands of the fans it needs to be taken out of the hands of the owners um, it needs to be taken out of the hands of everyone that it wants good for football in this country make sure that five, six, seven clubs whoever it might be now maybe it'll be different in 12 months time can't just say, you know what, we're going away from this from this country and from this pyramid and good luck. Redecoration about to go on in the cabinet room, the trophy cabinet room at the Etihad, that is. Here's Sterling trying to run in behind Coyate, brings the ball down away from Ward into the penalty area, dances past the goal, oh, and shoots toward the far corner and misses after an intervention by Mitchell Townsend. A low ball in towards the six yard box. Bentake turns after a misclearance by Ake, fires it towards the goalkeeper, and Edison makes a big save. But here's Sterling inside the box, looking for the run of Jesus, who tubs it in, but he's offside. Oh, they might get a chance here. Ball play in towards the near post and Aguero has got him behind and scored thunders it home six yards out if you switch off for a second against Sergio Aguero he can be deadly Torres edge of the area strokes it towards the far corner and scores and Torres gets a second one just seconds after Aguero had put Manchester City in front he just calmly side foots it through the legs of the defender Pasquaita Brilliant finish, brilliant break, Man City. Here is Sterling, round the back, trying to get in towards the near post. He shoots, it hits the inside of the post, comes back to Torres. He slides it through the six-yard box and it goes almost through to Raheem Sterling. Played in by Zinchenko towards the edge of the area, right foot, he shot towards the far corner and it's narrowly wide. It was a ruthless performance. Second half goals from Aguero and Torres did the damage. Crystal Palace nil, Manchester City 2. Well, I watched the highlights of this game on Sunday morning and believe me, it was much better cut down to uh, eight minutes um, than it was being there for 90. Two goals in a minute, not much either side. Aguero with the opener from their first effort on target, Trevor. 83 seconds later, it was 2-0. Uh, there was a brief flurry after that when Sterling and Laporte probably should have scored. But 19 away wins in a row says a lot about their mentality. It does. And um, what was it? Eight changes. We've seen that before, Sam. We've seen that before, Crookie. Uh, they've just, listen, they've got the best strength in depth out of the whole Premier League squads that are available. I think it's as simple as that. You know, they put their first fiddle team out. They put their second fiddle team out and they're almost as good as each other when they're on pump. And listen, Roy, I think Roy Hodgson's teams are very well organised. Um, but when they're spending a lot of time organising and make, make sure... They shut out the opposition. They don't hold that much threat. And I think that was a, the story of the game. Um, even though it was the first shot on target, it was beautiful. And it, I think it, for, for a Manchester City fan, it just reminded us, unfortunately, of what we're going to lose because uh, the, the goal by Conaguero, we've seen that kind of instinctive finish so often. Um, and yeah, I've seen, I seen a little bit after that goal, about Manchester City fans actually in tears that we're allowing Sergio Aguero to leave. Um, he's been an absolute incredible servant. He, he served us with one of the most exciting moments in Premier League history. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty sad that he's leaving the Premier League, but what a finish and what a reminder to everyone, even the clubs that are in, interested in him, of what his strengths are and what he can bring to, to a team. 
Yeah, Crookie, I mean, you must be delighted about the fact that uh, there's a possibility that he could stay in the Premier League. It's going to be fascinating to see his next move. I think personally, he'll probably end up back in Argentina. Um, Do you? I mean, I think could, could, be, could be a welcome. Could be a welcome to Salford. And he might end up at Old Trafford. I mean, if he did that, if he did that, Trevor Sinclair, and I don't think he will. Surely that would diminish his relationship and his standing with Manchester City fans. Everton? Which I, maybe. I mean, it would suit in terms of his living situation. But I think. Ideally, I think Manchester City fans would probably hope that he wouldn't join another yeah. Premier League club, especially as they're going to put up this statue at the Etihad. But I think it would be hilarious sh- if they put the statue up and then he went to Manchester United or Chelsea or, or hilarious. rival. Hilarious. <laughs> yeah, Trevor, Trevor's face is, is, is not really articulating <laughs> that. Um, but listen, it, obviously, it's, it's been a disappointing season for him. F- because of the injuries, he's, he's not had the impact that he would have liked. But there's still big games ahead, isn't there? I mean, what a fitting finale it would be if they get to the Champions League final and Sergio Aguero comes on and, and scores the winner. Pep has won 30 trophies as a manager if you include Super Cups, Shields and Club World Cups. But I think the mark of his brilliance is actually displayed by what is going to be a ninth league title in 12 full seasons as a top flight manager. I mean, he doesn't lose very often, does he? No wonder he gets grumpy when he does. Um, and, and not bad for a fella who actually suffered his worst ever start to a season. Um, he told me afterwards we were having a chat and he was, he's been in such good form over the last three or four weeks. He's been very chatty. Um, he said to me, he kept pointing to his brain and saying, but the brain is constantly in gear. It, it hasn't allowed me to indulge in any of my other passions that give me respite from this relentless pressure of football. He kept touching his head and saying, I need, it's every three days. I said, are you going to watch the Manchester United Liverpool game? And he said, he goes, well, he goes, yes, I will look at it, but I will think about PSG. I will think about PSG. Um, but I think you'll probably jet off to play chess with Gary Kasparov in New York or disappear up the Andes <laughs> on a trek or something because he, he does just need a rest, doesn't he? Yeah, but I also wonder in, in some ways because of the truncated fixture list, because of playing every two or three days he mentioned, maybe that's why Manchester City have been so successful this season because it's it's played into his obsession, his relentlessness, you know, to want to succeed. And maybe that's what set them apart from the rest. And the level of squad as well. They've got the ability to make 119 changes, which they've done to starting 11s over the course of the season. <laughs> Is that uh, all? There's not, many, there's not many teams, apart from Chelsea, that can manage to do that. In fact, Chelsea have made 111. Uh, they've made 119 going into, well, into the weekend. It was 111 each. So I'm sure Chelsea... Chelsea made a few as well on Saturday night. We'll get to that game very shortly because Crook was there. Um, Manchester City against PSG is on Wednesday night. Is it Tuesday night? Tuesday Tuesday. night. Tuesday night. Um, Guardiola told me it was an opportunity to get to a dream final. Now, the fact that he was able to leave Kevin De Bruyne, Gundogan, Diaz, Walker, Mares, Foden, Bernardo Silva on the bench without calling upon them at all, how much does that help him having been able to rest them properly? I don't know, uh, is it the honest answer? Because we've seen him rest plays before uh, and not quite get the chemistry of the starting lineup right and it not go right the weekend after. Um, for me, listen, he's come to the Premier League. The, the media have tried to dig him out, saying he won't succeed trying to play that way. He's probably the most challenging league to succeed. Yeah, um, so he changed now. Way. He's got a good defence and he's won the league. Yeah, but it's just not about the defence. It's about him sticking to his principles. <laughs> it's very much about Slightly the adapting it and getting the defenders that he needs, which you know we all, we all understand and appreciate, Sam, that you say the best defence always wins. It does. You've always got to score goals as well. But let's, <laughs> let's just leave that there. It, listen, he's the, for me, as a coach, and as a coach and a manager of a football club, I have a group of men you're a salesman and you're selling yeah. an ideal. You're selling a, an ideal of how to play and to do it to elite players, which he's got under his, um, under his, under his control. Um, he's done that superbly well. Yeah, the boys, he's, he's a the boys, man. Yeah, the boys. But whether we, we, listen, we don't know. The last three games prior to uh, the, the Wembley winner against Tottenham, the first half performances were a shambles. Yeah. You know, well, even the first half performance on Saturday wasn't particularly good. And the first half in the uh, the game against PSG wasn't great either. PSG, by the way, beat Long 2-1 over the weekend. Neymar scored, but Verratti, Di Maria, Keane, Herrera, the fullbacks all rested. Mbappe wasn't in the squad with what we are told is a calf worry. Although but he trained Crook, today. 
like like yeah, he's going to say like we, we all think he'll be fit, right, Crook? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I I sort of hope that Paris Saint Germain can replicate their first half performance in the first leg because oh, that's disgusting. No, that is disgusting. No, because as a neutral, I think we want to see the two of them go toe to toe again. I don't think you're neutral, really, are you? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm, I'm like my hands are like as a neutral. What are you on about? You're a PSG fan for the night. It, 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 uh, we were we were in a pub on Saturday night, Crook and I, in which he said, "I don't know what's worse, Manchester City winning the Champions League or Chelsea winning the Champions League because you won't stop talking about it all summer." Well, either way, one of you two is going to be pretty relentless. Um, come that, I mean. Listen, I do want an all-English final actually because I think it'll be fascinating to see how Thomas Tuchel and Pep Guardiola cope with each other. We're going to get a little rehearsal, if you like, in that game that you talked about live on TalkSport yeah. next Saturday. But tactically, you've got two of the best managerial brains in Europe and they will each be plotting, even at this early stage, how they could get the better of one another I mean, in a Champions League final. I mean, what Sam said earlier, I mean, he's been saying this since we've, we've ever spoken to him and given him the time of day, the best defence is winning. Actually, you look at Thomas Tuchel and what he's done since exactly. he's arrived at, at Chelsea and forget about what they've done going forward they've kept a, an awful lot of clean sheets and that's why they're in the position where they're flying in the league, they've got a great chance of top four and they're possibly favourites to go into the Champions League final against Real Madrid. So, yeah, no, it's going to be a difficult game against PSG um, just because of their sheer ridiculous talent going forward. But if we do get there, yeah, I'm, I think that'll be our biggest challenge, Chelsea in the final, if, if that does uh, transpire. Should we go straight to penalties in Istanbul now? Uh, no, no. Not let's again. let's go Balder and Grayer, and you know, let's fight our nails and all that, and enjoy the enjoy the journey. Of course, uh, Chelsea go into the game against Real Madrid, their second leg on Wednesday night uh, after a victory on Saturday at Stamford Bridge, which finished with a couple of Havertz goals. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. The Euros All Access podcast is proudly sponsored by Vauxhall. I just wanted to take a moment to make sure that all of our listeners are aware of the new Vauxhall Combo Electric. The Combo Electric is Vauxhall's new compact van that is made right here in Britain at their Ellesmere Port plant. Not only does the new van look fantastic and with a striking redesign, but by manufacturing the Combo Electric locally, Vauxhall is helping to support the British workforce. Local manufacturing also reduces the cost of going electric, making the transition accessible for more businesses. With an electric range of up to 205 miles on a single charge and one year's free public charging included, the new Combo Electric is ready to take on whatever you throw at it. Head online today and see for yourself. Search Vauxhall Electric Vans and prepare to lead the charge. Vauxhall's best-selling electric van range, energising a better Britain. Terms and conditions apply. Fulham, time is running out if they are to stage a miracle relegation escape. That is why this is a West London derby with far more than just local bragging rights at stake. Fulham have won it high up the field. Robinson on the edge of the penalty area goes for goal and it's just over the crossbar. And I think it was tipped over the crossbar by Mendy. That's a lovely ball to Mount. Plays it forward to Havertz. Lifts it over the goalkeeper and lifts it into the corner. Kai Havertz gives Chelsea the lead in this West London derby. Not a clear by Havertz just on the corner of the six-yard box. James completes that clearance and it's volleyed back towards the area by Robinson. Lookman with a shot, good save again, Mendy. Lookman brings it down. Olerena with a shot, took a deflection, clawed away by Mendy. Deckled over Reed, couldn't quite get on the end of the rebound. 
That's another excellent save right at the end of the first half. Here is Kai Havertz wriggling away from Robinson on the edge of the Fulham area. Werner plays it forward. Here is Havertz and Havertz has rolled it into the bottom corner. And Kai Havertz is at the double for Chelsea. It's a lightning quick start to the second half. They've never gone forward with purpose, have they, Alex? You know, whenever they've turned the ball over Fulham, they've had a progressive pass or two, and then that is it, then it's stopped. And it's just allowed Chelsea, you said it a couple of times, you know, they're now back in shape, and they just haven't been purposeful enough. Chelsea did warm up in style actually for that game with Madrid. Havertz scoring twice, he's starting to find his form. Um, and for all his failure in front of goal, actually Timo Werner is playing a part. Uh, the combination between him and Ziyech towards the end of the match actually almost produced another goal. But Fulham actually started the game quite well, didn't they, Crook? You were commentating for Talk Sport. The problem was, is that as soon as they conceded, they look as if the, the game's up. And I know you were you were talking to Scott afterwards and, and did he feel the same way? Yeah, he did. Um, and I felt a lot of sympathy for him actually because they were great for the first 10 minutes, but that, that 10 minutes is almost a microcosm of, of their season in the Premier League because they have quality to a certain point, but when they get in the final third, they don't take their chances and they get hit by what he described as a you know a long punt upfield, I think he was a little bit more subtle, a bit more cultured than that. That first goal, the I mean, touch the, from the Mason touch from Mason Mount, outrageous, exactly. So I think he's being a bit harsh on his own team there. But he said to me that I'm reluctant to use the word luck, but I don't feel like we've had a lot of luck this season. I think he knows their races run. I mean, mathematically they can still stay up, but it would take a Herculean effort now, and and. David Connolly in commentary made a good point. It, what type of team are Fulham going to have going into the championship next season? Because a lot of their better players are actually on loan. They've got an awful lot of loan players that presumably will all be going back to their parent clubs. So he's almost going to have to either build a new side or go back to the team that he started this Premier League season with that clearly he didn't believe were good enough for the top flight, but might be good enough in the championship. Yeah, and of course, the, the big question is what happens next for Scott Parker, who is now Crook's best mate because he's spent uh, the whole of the season slagging him off, Trevor, uh, basically saying he's nothing more than just someone who wears nice clothes and speaks well. Um, but uh, oh, last whoa, whoa, night... Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'd argue the toss of that. Yeah, well... I've, I've heard people talking about his club as being probably the best dressed manager and oh, I'm looking doubt. and thinking have I missed something here? Oh come on Trevor <laughs> behave you're a... yourself he, he dresses well but I, I at last oh. night I asked uh, Crook why he decided because he was saying oh I feel quite sympathetic I like him he's a nice guy blah blah blah, blah. He's backtracking it was a massive reversal the beeps were coming out again so I asked him, why? Why have you started to, to become Scott Parker's friend? And he actually said, well, when I was doing the interview with him, he kept name-checking me. He kept saying, oh, well, Alex, um, yeah, yeah, you're right there, Alex. Easily oh, flattered. Yeah. Easily, Easily flattered. flattered. Yeah. So what I did was, is I asked Lucy, our editor, uh, if she could put them all together. <laughs> and and Lucy, Lucy, what did you come up with? Well, I actually listened to the full four minutes, 18 second interview. Yeah, of Scott uh, Scott and his new best friend, Alex Crook. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was listening really carefully. Because he kept saying, Alex, 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 yeah, Alex, yeah. all and the I way thought, through. Yeah, I'll get a nice compilation yeah, going yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He only name checks you once, Alex. Oh. <laughs> well, he also oh, name checked me at the start before we started. <laughs> before recording, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, no. Oh, it, before it, you press the red button, yeah. But listen, can I just clarify, because Sam's used a little bit of poetic license there. I haven't slated him all season. All oh. I've said is that if you make a comparison between him and Steve Bruce, and they've been direct relegation rivals, I don't think Steve Bruce is as bad a manager as people have said. And at this stage, I don't think Scott Parker has proved to be as good a manager as some people would lead us to believe. He might do in the future. Trevor? Um, I like him. I mean, the first game of the season, I went to the Arsenal uh, I went to watch him at home against Arsenal. They didn't have the team. But just some of the things that he did in the warm-up, just he's, 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 the way that he speaks in the media, the way that he's realised that he's well out of his depth early doors and tries to recruit as soon as possible. He understands what he needs. He understands the job at hand. He understands the quality necessary in the Premier League. I think it's just too little, too late. Whether he's good enough for 
Um, Tottenham, I'd probably say no. It's, it's too early in his, his coaching career. Um, w- would I expect uh, Fulham to do a, a Watford or a Norwich and bounce straight back? Probably no, because like we said earlier, um, a lot of the players are on loan. But there's a job at hand. And if he wants to enrich and, and enhance his reputation, bouncing back is the best way he can do that. And I would say get to work at that. You know, listen, try and stay up. They've still got a chance. Mathematically, they can stay up. But once that's gone, get yourself, look at the task at hand, speak to the owners, get the players in necessary and really make a name for yourself and get Fulham back into the Premier League. Yeah, and, and, and whether that's a possibility or not will also depend on the investment he gets from uh, Shard Khan as well. Um, back to Chelsea, Real Madrid on uh, Wednesday night, 2-0 uh, winners over Osasuna Real Madrid on Saturday. Hazard started that game. I do have a feeling that if anyone is going to ruin Chelsea's oh, Champions God. League hopes, it's going to be him. Uh, Marcelo, <laughs> Marcelo's in an interesting situation, isn't he? He's been called up to be an election official at a polling station on Tuesday because he's a Spanish citizen now, So and it's election day, and he has been nominated by the local authority to be, to carry out his civic duty, which you all everyone has to do in Spain, like a bit like jury service over here. And he's got to man a polling station. So he can't go to England to prepare for the Champions League semi-final second leg until Wednesday. So Real Madrid have taken the emergency action of flying a private plane over with him on board uh, to make sure he's what able a story. to story. It's a great it's a gr- story, isn't it? Oh, it's a great story. But can I just say, I was really impressed with Chelsea. On, on Saturday, um, he made five changes to the starting lineup. Didn't knock them off their rhythm at all. I thought Thiago Silva was an absolute Rolls Royce in the middle of the defence. Mason Mount, we've mentioned the touch, but just his all-round play, oh, he's brilliant. The pockets of space that he takes up, the runs that he makes, really allows the likes of Kai Havertz and and Timo Werner to get goal-scoring opportunities. Werner's still not scoring, but as you say, he's con- contributing in other areas. It's the first time that I've commentated. Chelsea really since Thomas Tuchel came in and, and you have to say because we all remember bemoaning the style of play after that nil-nil draw against Wolves and there were one or two flat performances after that mainly, they are, mainly Sam bemoaning mainly Sam yeah, but they are evolving me. you know and, and he is he is allowing them to express themselves a bit more and I, I think they'll get through against Real Madrid yeah, and I like think that. to produce a performance like that so professional in between the two legs of a Champions League semi-final speaks volumes for how well-drilled he's got the players and the attitude of those players. And his priority, of course, has been uh, keeping uh, clean sheets and and being the best defence. And that's why they'll go on and be successful. (laughs) Anyway, um, we've got a couple of games to get through very quickly. Southampton won, Leicester won and Newcastle beaten at home by Arsenal by two goals to nil. Arteta was pretty clear he'd written off this game, pointing to Thursday. Uh, as their pivotal match, but it didn't look like that. Actually, they played quite well in the game and Aubameyang looked sharp. They scored a couple of goals. They were outplayed. Steve Bruce said it. They were outplayed in the game. So at least Arteta has managed to sort of lift the mood there. Mm. Uh, Crook, you commentated on it. You want to give us a 10-second sort of verdict on that? Newcastle were poor, lacked ambition against a much-changed Arsenal team. I would have expected more from them as the home team. Aubameyang, again, sharp runs, got his goal. That will do him the world of good. He'll start on Thursday night. I think they'll get through that tie as well. Oh, do you? Okay, what do you think they'll get through, Trevor? I do. If um, if Arteta doesn't make a schoolboy error like he made in the first leg. What, by I mean, play, playing a team that no one yeah, can understand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, at, at times I have been a critic of... of Why does um, he keep playing Xhaka at left-back when he's got Ced- Cedric Suarez sitting yeah, on the bench plays, doing nothing? He plays Xhaka at left-back today. Yeah, but why? But they still want because he feels he does a good job there. For me, uh, the game uh, midweek in, in the Europa League, semi-final, first leg, it, it was a mismatch and he made huge errors with his selection. He's, he, he's kind of made up for that because... He's put a striker in rather than a, a, a false nine. He's kept Shaka there, but he's brought a little bit more energy with El Nenny. Sabias again, probably good enough to play the lower half teams in the Premier League when it comes to sticking to task and doing a job out of possession. Um, I just feel his my- biggest mistake was allowing Sabias to play in the second half of that game on Thursday night because Sabias had already been booked and he, he could tell. But you say what that, Sam. You say that. I think it was a mistake in the first place to, what, to start him. him. Right. Well, just because he's at athleticism, he's not quick. He's not. He's not. Um, he's not got the athletic ability to compete out of possession. And you've got to accept in the semi-final of a, of a Europa League um, 
game, you're going to be under the cosh at times and yeah. you've got to be able to deal with it. He hasn't got the, he hasn't got the discipline. No, he doesn't even want to do it. He's almost like you're playing him and Odegaard and they both don't want to work when you're out of possession. And that's quite harsh on Odegaard because he has, he has stuck in there. But listen, play a team that can, can, can hold their own out of possession and can have a good shape and, and, and work hard as a unit to keep clean sheets. I don't think they went. I think he'll learn from that. And I think uh, Unai Emery took advantage of that. They didn't take advantage as much as they should because that could have been free. Yeah. Four, they could have been out of sight. They got a lifeline with the penalty, which wasn't. They're still in that tie. I think they'll get through because I think he's learned a massive amount. Well, they, they, they got very fortunate with the penalty, didn't they? I mean, I, I couldn't believe after it went to VAR that it wasn't overturned. But anyway, that's a story for another day. Um, Southampton won, Leicester won. A bit of a letdown for Leicester. I think we were quite disappointing in the game. They played... 10 men for 80 minutes in this match. Um, let's start with the Saints sending off in the side the first 10 minutes. Vestergaard, are we all agreed that it's a red card? I am, yeah. But actually speaking to Jamie O'Hara as I was doing the game on Friday night, speaking to the two Darrens, Benton Ambrose, before we did the boot room on Sunday, they all say it wasn't a red card. He got the ball, which as we know, isn't a defence in law, hasn't been for a long time. I thought it was just sending off on two fronts. One, he denied a clear goal scoring opportunity. And two, it was a dangerous tackle. I'm, I'm with you. Trevor? Yeah, I think... Um... It's a difficult one for me. I look at it in two ways. As a player from my day, that's that's nowhere near a red card. But then I look at it in the modern but game. Fast forward 30 years. 40. <laughs> oh, right. You, you're, you're an absolute disgrace, by the way. No, no, listen. It's, it's a harsh one, but we've got, got to come to accept the game's moved on. Yeah. And it's about protecting the, 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 the players. And for me, even though he did, he's obviously got a touch on the ball. It was desperation. He was out of control. It, it, it's very dangerous. Vardy stayed down for about five minutes. It's a, it's a red card. As harsh as it is, and as, as much as I don't like that, I would like the rule to change because I think that if there's a genuine attempt to get the ball and, you know, he gets the ball and it's the follow through that catches him, I would like to see a little bit more common sense with that. That's not the case. But for me, yeah, you're you're both right. It is a it is a red card, and and it was disappointing from Leicester. I have to say, yeah. I thought you know they they, they did they had a fantastic opportunity, um, especially against a team that the smashed nine past to, to not be able to be patient enough to pick out the right passes. You know, we're talking about Madison for the England squad. What what a bottom pass for a here Nacho though for uh, the goal from Johnny Evans. I mean, it was a delicious ball. It was. Yeah, that was the exact word that I used to describe it on air. But Trevor's right. Apart from that, they didn't really create too many opportunities. And against 10 men, and we know Southampton aren't great when they go down to 10 men, <laughs> um, they, they, they didn't use that numerical advantage as they should have. I still think they'll finish in the top four. Yep. Yeah. But we know they've got a difficult end of season running. So it, it, it could still be a couple of drop points that them, may them cost Chelsea, them. Chelsea, you know, and Tottenham, you know, they all play each other, don't they? So, I mean, Tottenham play Leicester, Chelsea play Leicester, Chelsea play Manchester City. You know, it's, it, although at the moment everything looks sorted and we could be in for the most boring end of the season that you've ever had ever because everything looks done. Something might change. There's still <laughs> plenty of jeopardy there. <laughs> we're holding out change. hope that there's a yeah. little bit of jeopardy somewhere, yeah. please. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, let's uh, talk a little bit, just quickly about Saints. Uh, Crook and I were out with the Saints journalist on Saturday night. Reports that always oh, not particularly well behind the scenes there and players thinking about moving on. Some players... Uh, who are out of contract, going off to pastures new. Ralph Hasenhutl, is he going to be the manager of Southampton next year? Or would Tottenham be better snatching him? Well, I don't well, know about... I, I don't know, just to, to put in it, this is, listen, this is not my lane. Uh, but looking from the outside and looking at Ralph and looking at... I said straight away, when Ings was, was, was halting on and, and, and delaying on this new contract being the highest paid player at the football club, I smelt something. Now, he whether did. that's to do with the manager, whether that's to do with the football club, whether that's to do with his head being turned by other clubs, I knew all went well. I'm not sure Ralph will be the manager there. I think he's done okay. You know, you look at the position in the league, they're, they're going to stay up. But you can't think of too many positives. They've got a good squad of players. And and to, to be in and around, you know, 17, Shallow 16, though, 15, it really is shallow. Not good enough. It's not good enough for me. And uh, yeah, to, to, you know, I think it, the end of the season has been terrible. I mean, you yeah. look at the since January, it's been absolutely <clears throat> dismal. It really has. Um, I don't subscribe to the theory that they should be in the top six 
I don't subscribe they should, to the theory they should be in the bottom six either, but they should be hovering around 10th, 9th or 10th, and they're not doing that, uh, which is a massive problem, I think, for, for Ralph, because I think he's actually damaged his his credibility because if, if, he'd, if he'd taken a plunge and decided to quit in January when he wasn't getting the backing that he thought he was going to get, then someone would have taken him on the open market and he would probably be employed for another three years. I'm not sure he's as attractive a, possib- uh, a proposition now. No, I think you're right. And had this Tottenham job come up in December or early January, I think he would certainly have been part of the conversation. We know that perhaps he felt he should be part of the Chelsea conversation when it became clear they were looking for a German-speaking manager, but their form has towed off. Um, I don't think anybody in the Premier League has picked up fewer points than Saints since the turn of the year. They have had... Including Sheffield United. Exactly. They have had one or two key injury absentees, but you can't keep using that as an excuse. I think it will be a summer of change. The Danny Ying situation is an interesting one. I think if he's had his head turned by anybody, it's his agent. I think Ryan Bertrand now looks certain to leave, which is strange because that deal was close to being tied up. But I think they're haggling over the length of contract. He wants a three-year deal. They're only willing to give him two. I think Brandon Williams will probably come in from Manchester United as his replacement. Minamino will go back to Liverpool. That move hasn't worked out. Walcott is an interesting one. Talks have started behind the scenes, but he's not in the team at the moment. He was left out for the FA Cup semi-final. He was left out again against Leicester. And he wasn't happy about that. No, he wasn't. Um, So... It will be an interesting summer. What I would say is that they won't sack Ralph Hasenhutl this summer. I don't think he'll walk away. But I think if this form continues into the new season, then inevitably questions will have to be asked. Interesting. I was just thinking as you were talking about Danny Ings and about the possibility of his having his head turned by somebody else and the dearth of number nines. I thought it was really interesting. I was thinking about Manchester United possibly signing Harry Kane. And we're going to move on to Tottenham in the next few seconds. Um, but I heard that Paul Scholes said on Thursday night that he didn't think it was a good idea for Manchester United to sign Harry Kane because it would stop the growth or stunt the growth of Mason Greenwood, who he believes is going to be the number nine going forward. If that's not the case, if if Manchester United decide that they would like to keep Greenwood as the... I mean, obviously they wanted to keep Cavani and allow uh, Greenwood to progress and then he would eventually take over the mantle. That seems all okay. But if they can't get Cavani over the line, then maybe Ings at 25 million for a couple of years to help out actually works for them. That that, that could possibly work, especially in terms of finances because you know they don't like to spend money unless they have to. Conversely, I then read a report on Sunday saying that Adidas have kicked off massively with Manchester United because they're selling less shirts than ever before. And we know the way to solve that is by signing someone massive. Adidas pay Manchester United in the region of £80 million a year, right? And they have to keep them on side because otherwise that won't continue to be a silk road for them. So the idea of play, of paying you know, £100 million, £120 million for Harry Kane actually makes sense. Because let's be honest again, they never actually pay that money. That never happens. You know, we all get these room, these reports of this transfer fee being massive, but that's a transfer fee over five years. And ultimately, there'll be another deal with another player at the same club. And in the end, that bit gets written off and it ends up being a lot less expensive than we first publicised. So there's a real tangle of transfer webs over the course of this summer, complicated by the fact that so many players are going to be out of contract. Well, I was told by a, a, somebody high-ranking at one of the Premier League clubs that Harry Kane absolutely will leave Tottenham this summer. It's not even in debate. And I know you, Sam, have, have been saying for a while that Manchester United will be his destination. And now you said that about Adidas, that, that makes an awful lot of sense. But that will have knock-ons because Tottenham will then need a new number nine. I know they've shown a bit of interest in Danny Ings in the past. Now, whether he would go there without them playing in the Champions League, I think is open to conjecture. I've been told all the way along that he would join City or United, but that's about it. But Southampton are going to get relegated unless they improve their squad next season. That's going to happen. Well, it's the circle of the drain analogy that Darren Lewis on the uh, on the pre-match pod loves to use. It's a squad that needs an overhaul and Trevor's saying it is a good squad. It's a good first 12. I think if you scratch beneath the yeah. surface, as they've had to given the number of games, then there are massive cracks. Been moved in again and 
soon, maybe this weekend, it will be joined by the Premier League pot. Ball played in towards the near post and Aguero has got in behind and scored. Thunders it home, six yards out. Sergio Aguero for me looked glimmers of his old self, looked fit, looked sharp, looked hungry and the quality in which he took his goal was simply Aguero. Welbeck turns, Welbeck hits it left footed into the back of the net, it's gone and Danny Welbeck has settled this and opened up a 10 point gap on Fulham. Kai Havertz wriggling away from Robinson on the edge of the Fulham area. Werner plays it forward, here is Havertz and Havertz has rolled it into the bottom corner. And Kai Havertz is at the double for Chelsea. Avila going to get themselves in front. Here's El Ghazi. Edge of the area. Right footed shot. Oh. What a strike. <laughs> El Ghazi puts Villa in front. It's a right foot pearler. No chance for Pickford. Villa are in front. Everton 1, Villa 2. Last few games to look at. Tottenham 4, Sheffield United 0. Three goals from Gareth Bell and another one from Son. Finished off Sheffield United. The first one was finesse. The second one was brilliant and brutal. The third one was exceptional and a great pass from Serge Aurier, uh, who got two great assists and, and they couldn't stop going on about it. Serge Aurier's got two great assists. Yeah, we were all surprised. <laughs> it's only Sheffield United. <laughs> and he didn't give away Ooh. a penalty. Brilliant. Um, uh, but, you know, it was, a, it was a good performance. In effect, they are playing more front foot football. There is still an outside chance that they could reach the top four, actually. The points difference is, is not too much. I mean, looking at the table uh, tonight, obviously Chelsea have put themselves in a very good position. But Spurs aren't too far behind. Uh, Chelsea, 61 points from 34. Spurs, 56 points from 34. And bearing in mind what I said about Leicester having to play Chelsea... And uh, sorry, I have to play Tottenham and Chelsea having to play uh, uh, Leicester City. There's still a chance that there could be quite a big swing there. So it isn't sorted yet. But the question that really keeps coming to my mind and has done over the course of this entire weekend, I know that Tottenham Hotspur haven't officially offered the job of manager to anyone. I'll reiterate that. I know that they haven't officially offered the job to anyone but it was quite odd that after Ajax turned around and said that they'd had quite a bit of serious interest in Eric Ten Hag, he decided to sign a new contract. Why does no one want the Tottenham job, Trevor? Well, it's, it's, I think it's obvious. Um, they've got a fantastic stadium, but they seem to be dragging their feet when it comes to recruiting the best players. And I don't care what manager you have, whether it's Pep Guardiola, Klopp, whoever, if you haven't got the best, if you haven't got great players coming into the football club, you're not going to be successful. That's Harry Redknapp's golden rule. If you ask him what's going on with this club or what do you think about it, he'll say it's players. It's players. It is players. It's all about players. Listen, you can get it wrong with players, but if you're not attempting to bring great players to the football club and players that you believe in, that can bring something and bring goals and bring clean sheets and bring charisma and bring team spirit and bring quality and performance to the football club. It doesn't matter how good you are as a manager. I'm so lucky on this pod that I've got charisma, performance, <laughs> you know, all those things from you two. I mean, you two are like literally the, the perfect combination. Um, yeah, listen, Gareth Bale, please for him. Uh, you know, what is it? Eight in eight Premier League games now. Um, it was three and one. So, uh, yeah, I'm <laughs> exactly. Great hat trick. Um, pleased to see Deli Alley with his dreadlocks uh, playing a part for, for Tottenham. They were a bit Trevor yeah. Sinclair esque, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. They, they, they were that. better than Trevor. Well, he, he didn't have the. No, I, I didn't think have the Trevor's were band. better. Mamma naturally, he's had a bit yeah. of um, volume put to them. Um, <laughs> but Serge Aurier, you know, he's got ability. He's just a liability defensively. And, He's got and that's ability the, that's, and is a liability. And well, that's it is. Quite I mean, defense, defensively, he's a liability. He's not got the discipline. He can't stick to task without making a challenge. At times, it's all about delay for, for a defender. And at his age now, he's never going to learn. Um, but seeing him go forward and creating as he did, I thought it was a good p- performance. You know, and at times, Sheffield United looked good under um, Paul Heckenbottom. But it was at them times that, Tottenham really found gaps in their defence and, and, and opened them up and scored goals. But listen, Chris Wilder's not there anymore. They've not improved. They've probably gone backwards. Well, he's on the on the five-man shortlist, apparently, for the job, Paul Hackingbottom, which I think also includes Paul Hackingbottom, Paul Hackingbottom, Jason Tindall, 
and Paul Heckingbottom. <laughs> um, Everton against Aston Villa uh, on Saturday what night. What a game. An Aston Villa victory. It was a hell of a, a thriller, wasn't it? It was a really entertaining match. Uh, it was great to see uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin get on the score sheet. Uh, but Everton's home form is absolutely terrible. One win in eight games at home. Their season has really fizzled out. The chances of finishing above Liverpool now and getting European football has really receded. Eight points behind Chelsea. Um, it's difficult to sort of put your finger on what the problem has been, really. I mean, defensively, they've had some issues. Yeah, I think Carlo Ancelotti was quite frustrated, wasn't he, on um, on Saturday night. He sees this as a bit of a wasted season, really, because when you look at the, the, the problems that Liverpool have had, Arsenal struggling, Tottenham haven't been consistent. This was a big opportunity for Everton if they could just string a, a run of wins together to, to really challenge in that upper echelon, which is where they want to be. The owners have, have backed various managers and probably haven't really got anything tangible to show for that investment. But the home form is, is strange because it used to be that they couldn't win away from home. And I think mm. they've set a record this season for the most away wins in a single Premier League campaign. But without that vociferous home crowd at Goodison, they've really struggled. I think it was good to see Jordan Pickford produce a good performance Brilliant. in front of Gareth Southgate and obviously Calvert-Lewin and, and Watkins as well. So I think Gareth Southgate would have found his trip to Goodison Park particularly pleasing. Yeah, they, they have West Ham, which is a key fixture for them next weekend because were they to win that away, then beat Aston Villa live on TalkSport, which is their game in hand. They've got Sheffield United Wolves towards the end of the season. They could sneak into fifth, which, which would be, I, I suppose, when you looked at it over the course of a season, great for them. But at the moment in time, it doesn't look as if that's likely to happen because they can't string that sort of level of results together consistently, which is a problem. El Ghazi's goal, by the way, the rasper to win it, was a, a super hit. It was a beautiful hit. You love to see goals like that. But just a quick word on um, Ollie Watkins, 15th goal of an impressive season, Trevor, and DCL, who got his 20th goal of the season. I think both of them now, and I didn't think this earlier on in in, in probably even this month. This yeah, month that's probably because no. you don't understand the game like me. Hold on a sec. Hold on Ooh, a sec. Hello. Hold on hello. a second. You left a little bit. One. That was a little bit of Vestergaard above the ankle on Vardy Ooh. there. Um, uh, now, what I was going to say before I was really interrupted uh, was that when it was a 23-man England squad, um, I didn't think both of them would get in mm. Gareth Southgate's 23. But now that it's a 26... I understand that he is going to take that extra striker. So as well as Dominic Calvert-Lewin mm. behind Kane, he will take Ollie Watkins, I would have thought now. Well, to start with, I thought Ollie Watkins was the best player on the pitch. Relentless with his running, really intelligent runs. He got his goal. Um, I thought it was really difficult for Everton defensively to deal with. Uh, earned his goal himself as well with his press and his being able to sustain that press and his strength once he'd won the ball back. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, you know, even though the goalkeeper, and we rate this goalkeeper, was in a great, great position. It was just such a perfect header, great ball yeah. in. Um, he's, he's, a, he's, a mon he's a bit of a bully in the air. You know, he, he's, he's so good in the you air. Talk about, you, know, you talk about Duncan Ferguson, he's almost giving him DNA uh, and, 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 and he's playing with that kind of DNA. He's so aggressive and committed to them balls. And, and them I thought he was superb. I think we have to take both of them. Because I don't, as 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 good and as highly rated as we look at Harry Kane, there's a chance he could get a twisted ankle or he could get a knock yeah. on his ankle. And I think both of these players have real good strengths uh, as a number nine and as a single striker up there. They've both got that personality to be able to do that for England. Ollie's obviously had the opportunity a few times. Dominic Cavalloon tested, tried, it's successful for England. So, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. It does make it a lot more viable that both of them are going to go with the 26 players. But yeah. I actually thought both of them would go anyway, even if we had 23 players in the squad. Brighton 2, Leeds United 0. Uh, that was Saturday, 3 o'clock. Um, look, Brighton, uh, fantastic. Well done to them. They finally played a game where they created loads of chances and actually scored two goals. Uh, although I did think that Gross, Gross's penalty was a very odd run-up. He sort of run up from a very strange angle. Very effective. Look, Danny Welbeck scoring the clincher, but I actually thought his overall play was superb. He won the penalty, set Trossard up for uh, a, a chance after harassing the, the defence. He had several opportunities, then conjured up a corking goal. Yeah, Leeds were guilty of giving that ball away, but the way he controlled it, turned and then fired it into the corner, Brilliant for him. I mean, I think we're all big sort of Danny Welbeck fans. We'd like to see him do well after his injuries and he's a great personality. 
as well. Uh, it's another game where, where Brighton did miss chances, but it is a feather in Graham Potter's cap again that he outwitted Leeds for a lot of the game, Crook. Yeah, and that was the double, wasn't it? They beat Leeds at home and away. Obviously, haven't done the double against too many teams in the last couple of years. Uh, we wax lyrical about the Mason Mount take from the sky in the Chelsea game. Danny Welbeck's touch for his goal was equally sublime. But I think, again, we've seen that the value that Calvin Phillips brings to that Leeds team. Yeah. They struggle when he's not there. They struggled again in this game. That's safety for Brighton now. Job done for Graham Potter. And again, if they can just find a regular goal scorer, I think they could have a really good season next season. It's and not easy. It's not easy to find regular goal It's not easy. But we've been talking a lot on this program about and defense. sometimes even when you have them, you don't use them if you're Pep. Yeah, but we've been or talking Arteta. a lot. <laughs> we've been talking a lot tonight about having a strong defence and I think Ben White and Lewis Dunk are two players who really should be on the radar of the, of the biggest clubs in the country they're two terrific defenders and England possibly mm. absolutely um, right okay uh, that is it from us uh, Trevor where, what are you doing for the Champions League semi-final what are you going to do how are you going to watch it because I'm sure you're very excited about it yeah. I can't wait I wear my lucky undies I'm, listen I'm just really excited to watch some of probably on the PSG side some of the best strikers in the world yeah. certainly in Europe uh, Mbappe I've said it before you know if you had uh, a bottomless pit of money and someone said take your, ch- take your pick mine wouldn't be Haaland mine would be Mbappe because whatever I'll he lacks in, in, in certain things his pace and, and you know I was blessed with pace at one st- stage in my career and football's easy you, you still are you still are yeah, you can well, run compared 5K to you, 20, compared to you. 20 minutes you're, you're impressive what do you well, mean compared to me <laughs> Civilian, civilian. Uh, Right, okay, that's it from us. We are back on Thursday when we will know whether or not there's a full English in the Champions League or Pep and Tommy T have made a dog's breakfast of it. Uh, Darren Lewis and Alex Crook will be back together on Thursday. And uh, we'd love you to rate and review the podcast and tell your friends to subscribe to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Before you go, I just wanted to remind you that the Vauxhall ELCV range is the best-selling electric van range from Vauxhall, which is driving innovation in 2024 with its modern facelifted design and improved electric technology. Now, I know that the transition to an electric vehicle can sometimes feel daunting, but rest assured that when you choose Vauxhall, you're in the safest of hands. The ELCV range is designed to be as accessible as a diesel van with an electric range of 261 miles and with one year's free public charging included, you will find it cheaper to run too. If you're already thinking of making the leap to an electric vehicle, then consider this your official sign. Go online and search Vauxhall Electric Vans today. Vauxhall's best-selling electric van range, energising a better Britain. Terms and conditions apply.